Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Hi, and welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is someone who I've had the pleasure of being a guest on their podcast a couple of times, but the first time you've been on our podcast, I'd like to welcome Jared Donnelly from Trivalo Coaching. How are you? Great, Brenton. I'm really happy to be and privileged to be on your podcast. And it is funny sitting on the other side, not asking the question. So forgive me if I don't answer the way that you expect, but I'm not <laughs> really used to being interviewed. So yeah, I'm really wrapped to be on your program. We've known each other for you and your son, Jordan, who, who run Trivalo, have, have both been to, to clinics. But I've been lucky enough to have a lot of your athletes that you coach through Trivalo come to the, the clinics and work with them and um, help them improve their stroke, which we'll talk a little bit about later in the podcast. Uh, but you have a, a very popular, very successful podcast where you have a lot of triathletes listening to you, looking for advice and, and tips and you know, sharing your knowledge because you've been in the game for a very long time. You were Australian duathlon champion in 1988, the Australian Ironman runner-up in 1989, as well as being on the Commonwealth Games team as well. So you've had a lot of success as a pro in your career and now transitioning to coaching and working with a, a lot of different people, a lot of different abilities and things like that. So you've sort of very well versed in all different levels of triathlon. And one of the, the things I'd like to get stuck into to start with is how's the sport changed over that time? Because there's no way in 30 odd years that you've been in the sport that it's, it's stayed the same. What are some of the evolutions that you've seen over the last 30 to 40 years? That's a great question to start with. The sport has changed incredibly. And I think technology is the, the main reason. Knowledge, people's ability to understand a bit more about training and racing through technological advances of, of heart rate meters, power meters, bike computers, indoor trainers, medical testing with VO2 testing and, and seeing where, where your numbers are actually at for your ability and being able to train to those numbers. Bike technology, you would laugh at the bikes we rode back in, in the 80s compared to what we're riding now. They're just incredibly different. Shoe technology, you know, skill and stroke analysis of swimming has really gone way ahead of and you know you're a great example of that so i think in every facet of triathlon it is just not recognizable and and i look at some of the great athletes of the 80s and 90s when i competed and they would do very well these days if they had the same technological advances because they were still performing some outstanding times in the run for example that the running time really hasn't come down a great deal although it has in the last two or three years which mm -hmm. is amazing but before that the guys in the 80s were running similar times to what they were running in the 2010-2015 period, um, but the bike is the, where the biggest change and the, the faster speeds have, have evolved from because the time trial bike is just such a game changer. And it also allows you to get off the bike and run better because you're not as fatigued from riding a road bike um, with clip-on bars as we did in the 80s. So, so it's come a long way. It's unrecognisable in my opinion, and the times are reflecting that, you know, a, a time that I competed in when I won the Australian Ironman would rarely win my age group, let alone win win the race out, outright. So, and I put that down to, you know, so many advances in so many different areas and, and the bike is probably the biggest thing. I, I think the bike I rode was a road bike that steel frame probably weighed twice as much as what the bike I ride now. And I think I could ride the same speed now as a 64-year-old as I could as a pro when I was wow. when I was 30 because of the bike. And that's a big statement, I know, but to be able to, you know, I think I rode four hours 40 or something, four hours 50 at my best in Kona uh, on a road bike. I could ride probably that time now uh, on a time trial bike. It's not because I'm a better athlete, it's because I've got a better piece of equipment underneath me. It reminds me so much of competitive pool swimming with the blocks that you've got now there you've got the, the kick step you've they used to just dive off the end of the pool you know, a while ago <laughs> they've, they've obviously got they've got the grip there and then they've got the the suits as well sometimes the walls are grippier with the touch pads like there's technological advancements uh, with a lot of those things where we have seen times come down but in swimming they're, well, they're now beating the super suit times in nearly every event, which is amazing. The super suits from 2009. So I think similar sort of thing where it's like better training methods because we've got the data and we're able to use it. We're able, we understand a lot more, but also the, the technique side of things. 
I'd be curious to hear about your the change in the way that you've had to coach over that time. Has there been things come up, let's say like VO2 max testing or using the, the Garmin watch to record uh, your sessions? Have any of these things come up and you went like, I'm just going to sit back and see how this, this plays out before I start incorporating this into my coaching? Or do you feel like you've been at the, the forefront of these, these new technologies? Where do you sort of sit in that, uh, in that timeline? Uh, another really good question. And look, I, if I put my coaching hat on, I would want to be known as a person who is really at the front of the queue uh, for lining up to whatever is going to help our athletes. That's that's what I'm I'm invested in. And, and I don't mind if I don't know anything about it, such as obviously my background is exercise physiology. So, you know, I was in a lab back in 1977 when I left uni. Uh, left school to go to uni so i've already always had that interest in in like the human guinea pig and what things could we do to make that person as a runner improve or as a swimmer or as a bike rider or, or a gymnast or whatever sport they chose and i i just think that that interest in in my wanting people to improve has been the thing that's driven me as a coach is is i will embrace any new technology as long as I see it's got value and and works for the athlete to, to get them to be faster in some capacity to to be at PB as a, an age grouper or a pointy end of the races to, to get on the top podium. But but that's a, a key aspect of what I really embrace is if someone knows something that I could be doing in my program, I want to know about it. Mm. Yeah, I lo- love to hear that. And just seeing what you have put out in your, your podcast with yourself and Jordan, you are at the, the forefront there. You're looking at, at recent races or recent technology training methods, really diving deep into it, which I think is is really interesting. And I'd also love to know with with some of this stuff, is there what how do you rank them? What should people be doing and what more secondary things that they could be using? If they're a triathlete, let's say they've been training for one, two years, they're they're not brand new but they've, they've been in the sport for a little while. What do you see as some of those key things that can actually make a difference with someone's results over time, whether it's testing, technology, better bike, those sorts of things? Yeah, I definitely think there are lots of, whenever someone asks me a question, I, I say there is never one answer to give as the reply. So there could be 15 things that could be ranked in order of what would be the most important and and I can't shy away from the fact that if you've got a really decent program, yeah, definitely ranking the priority of the importance of what people should be concentrating on is is I'm a I'm a big believer in, and I just think getting your getting your training program right first, I think, is what people should be really concentrating on. People often ask me, "Can I do extra this? Can I do extra that?" And I'm forever saying, "Look, just do the program to start with, and then as you." get accustomed and adapted to the program and your body's coping with the training load, then we can add some some other important aspects to the actual program. And at the end of the day, that, that I think is is going to get you um, more bang for your buck if, if that's what you're after. And at the end, I suppose the technological side of things is really important. But if we just get the training right, then we can add the technical things to that program. And what do I mean by that? Probably the testing side of things in your program is key. We, we really are firm believers in if you don't know where you are in a given month or week or, or block of training, then it's hard to train accurately in the right mm-hmm. zones. And that, that is a little bit less significant in swimming because the margins are so small we're talking seconds per hundred, whereas on a bike you, you could have ten or fifteen or twenty watts difference, which means you will be training too low if you don't adjust your power up as you're improving, or you're training right. too too hard and failing all the sessions. If you've had a period of three or four weeks of sickness and you haven't trained well on the bike, and you resume trying to push the power that you were pushing literally four weeks ago but you can't do now because you haven't been training and you will fail all of those sessions because you haven't adjusted your power number in in your in your settings and that has a catastrophic effect on people's mental health almost because you start to feel like a failure and it's actually got nothing to do with that it's you're actually training to the wrong numbers according to the current level of fitness that you've got right now. And I think once people understand that, there'll be periods where you need to keep adjusting your 
your zones because you are having periods of improvement and you need to train to those better better speeds, better power, better pace. And then you'll have periods where you're maybe in a, a downtime where you're just trying to maintain fitness and you're not trying to improve. You're just trying to keep your fitness going. So, you know, don't – oh, we have – example of that would be someone's got their A race. So they went to the, the Australian 70.3 titles and they had a four-week period afterwards where they wanted to recover and, and reset for the next A race. They would go into that A race with the peak – pace on the pool, power on the bike and running pace as a runner. And then four weeks later, for some reason, their expectation would be that that's where they, their fitness is still at. Mm. And in my opinion, and in my experience, that's just not true. You, you need to actually retest yourself after a two or three week period to find out, is your power number down 15 watts or is it down two watts? And if it's down two watts, great we can resume training if your running pace is down from four minute k pace to four 420 then we have to adjust the running pace if your swimming pace has lost two seconds we need to adjust it back a bit so so you're always going to be training at the level you're at and i think once people understand that aspect of their training and that's something we didn't do and had no capabilities of doing in the 80s and 90s because the technology wasn't there so we're at such a great advantage now, not only understanding how to train better, but, but to actually test ourselves over periods, whereas we used to use racing as our testing to say, you know, well, I, I ran the half marathon in 1.11 or 1.30 or two hours, and next race I did it in, you know, two minutes slower or two minutes faster, then I get perspective. Mm -hmm. Same in the, in the water, even though in a swimming race in a triathlon, the distances could be two or three hundred meters out or a kilometer out sometimes in you know if you're swimming downstream in a river or something like that you can't really compare times that well so 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 really trying to do a science lab type of testing where you're doing a, a pool swim over a thousand meters in a pool is really great to to re-measure time and time and time again the swimming pool doesn't change its length there's no wind there's it is you're comparing apples with apples as a runner 10k 5k they're really great ways to measure your improvement or or loss of performance. And same on the bike. We do an FTP test over 20 minutes. We should be doing 60, but it's hard work convincing people to do a 60-minute or one-hour P test. So we do 20 minutes and take 95% of that. And, and that gives us our training zones so that we are really training accurately at the current level where we're, where we're at, whether it's in the, as I said, in the a phase where you're recovering from a race or whether you're in a, a building race period or you're in the middle of winter where you're trying to you know in a base period or whether you're at the the pointy end of the race ready phase we have so much technology that will allow us to test ourselves so, so that we are a training in the right uh, zones and b improving so that we get to the race at our peak performance and and they're the things that i think are the most important things that if people get right they will continually put layer and layer upon layer of fitness to get themselves to continually improve. And whether that's a really sharp curve or whether it's a long, slow, drawn-out one is dependent on how consistent you are and it's also dependent on the amount of time you have to put into the sport. And, and we have so many variations of that. We have people who can put six hours a week in and we have people who can put 20 hours a week in. So the rate of improvement is very reflective of the hours you can spend in, in preparation. And that doesn't mean just doing, throwing thousands of hours at something. It has to be doing the hours the right way. And I suppose that's really the number one thing that I'll be pushing to any athlete, whether they're new, elite, or someone who's been doing it for two or three seasons. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of great points there. The, the first one being, it's hard to steer a parked car. If you're not doing the training, well, you know, you, there's nothing that we should really add in. It's like, all right, let's just see how you're going when you're doing the training. Okay, let's get that sorted first, get the, the foundation there. Then we can look to add or, or remove things. So you've got to be, be going, first of all. Uh, the other point that you made there is you've got to know where you're at and you've got to know where you want to get to. So that, that regular testing is key. And you know, for training zones, for example, with, with swimming, I did an episode recently on, on CSS pace which is a similar thing to like the 1,000-meter swim test. It's, it's essentially going to give you a very similar number there, and that can allow you to set those 
those training zones that that we want to use to build that you know, that aerobic base and that that fitness there. And if you know roughly where you should be, then you can make sure you stick to that in those in those key sessions. And I know with with swimming in particular, we we have some average sessions, we have some great sessions. So that does fluctuate, and it might change if it's a really hot pool as well. I was training in a indoor twenty five the other day when I'd normally be in the outdoor fifty, which is same temperature, clean air. And I go to this indoor 25 and my pace was, oh, no, it was probably four seconds slower per 100 uh, in a short course pool compared to a long course because it was just so hot and I just couldn't push above about 75%. So you've sometimes got the variables there with, with pool temp and air quality and that sort of thing. You've got how you're feeling that day, but we just need to get those, those numbers though to be able to, to use them. One question I, I've got is how have you seen things change from uh, having that perceived effort you know when we didn't have watches we couldn't track that stuff there's a lot more perceived effort you know how you're feeling and being in tune with that do you think that that's gone away with now people are just so involved with the technology or do you try and encourage them to to find the happy balance between the two what what are your thoughts around that and how do you like to coach your athletes when it comes to perceived effort and keeping in mind you've got the garment as well uh, I love that question because it's it's one of the things that we're really adamant in trying to get across in our podcast is we are very driven by data. There is, you know, we are known as people who are just, you know, entrenched in, in understanding the data. But But the thing that people forget is we are also trying to get the athlete to understand what the data feels like so that if for some reason your swimming watch isn't working and you're you know, using form goggles or whatever, the, you know, you've got some, some, some data coming into your eye on your bike, you've got your power meter and your heart rate and your cadence and your average speed. As a runner, you've got your running pace, your heart rate. So all of these pieces of data coming back at you as you're competing are helping you make really good decisions about what you should be doing at any given time during that actual race and in training, of course. But, but what about how you feel? And, and that is so, it's almost 50% of, of the answer. So you need to be really thinking about what does 130 pace feel like without me looking at my watch? What does four minute K pace as a runner look, feel like without looking at my watch? What does 200 watts feel like without looking at the power meter? And, you know, I've done this to myself plenty of times. I've, an example would be if I did uh, five by five minute efforts at 200 watts, um, I would cover my Garmin over with a towel and try and ride one of the five minutes not looking at it and just trying to, to get as close to 200 watts as I can. And then the next effort, opening it up and having a look. And and really that's a way to, to, to get your body to, to think about what that feeling is because you have to force it, train it to understand what is the feeling of this. Mm. And of course, there'll be days where the temperature in the room or outside changes. And the example I would give, I've done so many zone two bike sessions and you've just given one with the, with the pool, a temperature indoor, temperature outdoor. And on a bike, the same thing happens. Riding your bike in Melbourne in zone two, my heart rate for 200 watts might be 125 beats. Doing the same session in the Sunshine Coast or Cairns, my heart rate could be for 125. 25 beats it could be two 200 uh, watts down in melbourne it would be probably 160 watts in cairns so i would lose 40 watts for the same heart rate just because the body is responding differently to the conditions of the day so they're really important things that will affect the the actual race if you're in a race in a hot climate you haven't been like a classic example is going from melbourne winter to kona world championships so we trained all basically may june july august september and then we arrived at kona in october and having not spent one day and a temperature of pretty much above 15 degrees and we get to kona and it's and it's 30 plus degrees with humidity at 90 percent and there's the you know the lava fields are reflecting the sun back in your face so you're now experiencing a heart rate response that's different to what you've been training in and so 200 watts in melbourne 200 watts in kona will give a completely different outcome physiologically to your body and therefore if you don't recognize that and adapt to it if you try to ride to the same power you will probably end up having a horrible day so you've got to adjust or acclimatize before you get there so they're examples of of understanding how important racing and training to feel is a part of your training learned process and and you should be trying everything you can 
to make sure that you are continually checking, or how does this feel? And some days you're going to feel like if you're in a three-week block and you're in the third week and you've got a massive amount of fatigue building up, you're going to, you're going to feel like 200 watts feels like 400 on week three. So you should adjust down and don't just follow blindly that you should be doing 200 watts. Adjust it down to 180 if you have to so that you get the same feeling of the outcome of the session. And, mm. and people are really scared to do that because the session says do this. And, and we're, one of the things we do is we give people a range all the time in swim, bike and run, a range of, of time in the pool. If you're, if you're trying to swim some threshold stuff and your threshold pace is 135, we would give you between 133 and 138 pace or 140 pace just so that you've got a top and a bottom and you can, you can go by how you feel on that day. And if you've woken up tired and didn't sleep all night and the kids were keeping you awake or, or you didn't eat well or whatever the reason, you can adjust according to how you feel. And so that's where that feel comes in in training. And, and on race day, if you arrive on race day, you want to be at the peak of your performance. That's you've tapered for this main race and you don't feel it. For some reason, you've got something wrong. You can't blindly follow the plan that you're supposed to do because you will end up going worse on the day. But if you're in tune with, oh, geez, 200 watts, I keep using the one example of 200 watts. 200 watts is what I'm supposed to be racing at. I can't do that today. So don't spend the next 90K trying to get to that number. Spend five minutes saying, well, that's too high for me today. I need to reassess and I need to actually drop my power by five or 10 watts and see how I go with that. And keep reassessing how I feel throughout that experience. And you, you will still get some good training and racing results because you're in tune with how your body's coping with the task that you're setting it. And do you have any athletes racing that don't use any data when they're racing? They prefer to just go by feel. What's, what's that look like for, for most of your athletes? Yeah, look, a lot of the athletes who come to us have actually been racing like that. And, and it's my job to... To, to bring them around, to, to use the technology to their advantage. And if I can't convince them to do that, then I'm not actually coaching them very well. I, I would try to point out that um, that's great what you're doing. It's actually fantastic. You can actually be that close to what your current level of racing should be at. But let's just check it. And there's no harm in checking to see, you know, what power or what pace or what pace per 100 you're able to swim at. Let's just check to see because I would I would hazard a guess and I'm, I've actually done this many times where I've said to people and Jordan's done this in, in many of his sessions where we've experimented on just making him try to do two-minute hill repeats where he's not allowed to look at his watch and and he's he's tried to run at a pace like a 310 pace up the hill and then do that for the whole session and you know, he's felt like he's done every session, every effort the same. And when he's gone and downloaded the session, it's gone 310 pace, 311, 315, 317, 320, because he felt like he was pushing as hard as he could. But had, had he been able to check after the end of that one, one effort, he would know that, well, that's dropped, my pace is dropping. I need to actually reassess and try and put more into it, even though it feels like I'm giving the same effort as the first effort, but of course you're fresh on your first effort and you're not as fresh as you are on the sixth effort as you are on the first effort. So that's mm. where the perceived exertion formula has some flaws um, because you feel like you're putting the same effort in and the power meter on the bike is great for showing that. You, you're busting your guts for five minutes times five efforts and you, you could look back at your data if you just use perceived effort and the power numbers would be just dropping the whole way. But, but every time you keep glancing down, you see that it's dropping and you put more effort in and, and you feel like, boy, this is getting harder, but that's what it, the, the power meter is telling me that I'm dropping. So mm. they're the things that, that the technology can really help us with. And once athletes hear that and see it in their own experience, when we show them a session where they've, they've actually faded and they think they, they didn't fade because of the perceived exertion experience was I did my best over the five efforts that you're asking me to, and I'll show them, well, you faded. And then that's kind of a aha moment of, well, I thought I knew what I was doing, but the technology is actually proving that I'm a little bit off. So we do have that experience. Yes, definitely. Mm. When I did a half Ironman, when I spoke to friends, they said in the run, 
you'll you'll probably feel like you're going really easy, but you'll be going way too too fast. So just be be mindful of that. And I remember coming off the bike, you know, legs are feeling good. I'm like, oh, this is really easy. And I look at and the first K comes up on the watch, and I can't I can't remember exactly what time it was. Either three thirty or four minute pace, and I was trying to run either either four or four thirty pace. I can't remember exactly, but thirty seconds faster than what it should have been. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm glad I looked at my watch here because yep. I <laughs> I just pushed way too hard and I, I couldn't have kept that up if I, you know, if I'd just gone by gone by feel. So it's it it's great to be able to marry the the two together. It's just such an advantage. It makes makes a lot of sense. And the the other thing I really like with using data too, especially in swimming, is using the form goggles to be able to make a change to your stroke and see if that's made a difference to your times. An example of that was I did a set on Friday last week. It was 2050s on the minute and it was best average. It was as, kind of as fast as I could hold across all, all 20 because I didn't have long and I thought I just want to get a good session in, but I've only got 25 minutes. So it was warm up and then 2050s on the minute. And for the first 12 of those, I was holding about 33 roughly. And then I made one change to my stroke for the next eight where I was working on going a little bit deeper with my catch because I have a tendency to just to not go deep enough through the first part of my catch. And it just means that I'm, I'm just sort of pulling yeah, pulling a bit short, not getting as much power as I could and not holding the water as, as well as I could. So by going that little bit deeper with my catch, it came down a second and a half. It was like 31 mids for the, for the rest mm. of them. And that was a massive change over the course of just a 50 for me. And so I was like, okay, this is, this is really good. I'll, I'll keep working on it. And to have that, that immediate feedback when the, the number pops up in your eyes, it's like, wow, okay, this is so tangible and it's a direct cause of the change that I've made. So that's one of the real benefits I think you've got with, with the form goggles when you're working by yourself, you haven't got a coach on deck giving you times and giving you splits. So you, you can use that to, to your advantage as well. And I mean, you can use it too if you're just looking at it on your your watch. It's not quite as accurate sometimes because you're having to you know, stop the watch and all that sort of stuff. But you can use that for your for feedback. Have you sort of, yeah, have you experienced that sort of thing with either yourself or with your athletes where you can make a change and see the result there? Oh, absolutely, mate. And uh, the swimming example is a great one. And I'm forever trying to do that. Um, having grown up as a squad swimmer, as a five-year-old, six-year-old, you know, in the local country club down in Warrigal, just up the road from where you grew up. And, mm. and you know, certainly I had some sort of technique that I had in those days and I don't even know how it evolved. But yeah. But now as a swimmer, you know, 60 years later, I have felt like I don't have a stroke that's resembling what I used to do. And so I'm forever looking at my form goggles, even in the middle of a swim where we're in a, in a, in actual, so I'm doing four one hundreds. I'm, I'm absolutely trying to adjust my stroke to see whether I can do something better in that hundred. So I'm, I'm absolutely looking at that the whole time. And on the bike, I'm forever telling people they're just so determined to push the power. And when that happens, they forget about pedaling in 360-degree circles. They just push down harder. So we've got three muscle groups. We've got the glutes, the hamstrings, and the quads, the major muscle groups that drive the pedals. And if you're just pushing down for that half a stroke instead of actually engaging your, your glutes and your hamstrings for the up pull, instantly the power goes from what it was five or six watts within two pedal strokes the power goes up and they're great examples of minor adjustments and I'm forever telling people if I'm actually watching them on a hill climb or I'm saying, oh, you know, don't forget to engage engage your glutes, you know, pull up, pull up on the stroke and and you're assisting your push down by pulling up. So you're mm. recruiting recruiting the, all the three major muscle groups to help you improve your, your power number, which is going to make you ride faster and that's a classic example. As a runner, you would, you know, people i know tom tom runs with a very upright action and and we know from biomechanics that that if you actually lean forward slightly you're going to land your foot underneath the view from if you look down and, and run a string line below, from your forehead to the ground that's where your foot should strike the ground and the further back you lean your foot's going to be you know half a foot in front of your eye and so therefore you're breaking every time you land um, with your foot and putting more force through your body and a little tip of just lean forward a little bit more is going to actually 
accelerate the pace and make the running action easier and less load on your body. So they're, they're things that you should be thinking about as you are competing as a swimmer and as a bike rider and as a runner when it counts the most in a race. And, and I'm always asking people, what are, what are they thinking about when they're racing? And, and when I, you know, when I ask them that they're sometimes they're just drifting along and, and not until they come to a corner, they have to actually concentrate again. And I'm in my, my, chats to my athletes before a race i will talk to them about what should you be doing in the swim what key things should you be concentrating on when you get in the water and i ask that question to them and some people are great they fire back at me with yep i've got to actually try and get some feet i should be uh, looking for the pull, the the marker boys and i should be really concentrating on my technique and well, I'm going, brilliant, that's fantastic. That, that's exactly what should be happening. And if you're not thinking about that over and over and repeating that, then you will be have periods of drift where it's a, 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 not a pun intended there, but you will drift off to sleep almost if you're not concentrating on what you should be doing. And your times will drop off if you're, you know, on the bike, the classic example is what power am I pushing? What cadence am I on? What's my heart rate? What's my average speed? And you should be asking those questions every four or five minutes. How's my power? Am I on a, a hilly section of the course? Is it a headwind? Is it a tailwind? And you're making these micro adjustments as you ride that ride. If it's a 90K or a 40K or 180K, you should be doing that the whole time. And the same with the run. You, you should actually be asking yourself, what pace am I running? How does it feel? What's my heart rate doing? Am I coping with this pace? Do I need to slow down? Can I, can I start to speed up? And, and by the end of that event, after you've concentrated on the swim, the bike and the run, for those th things that I just mentioned, you should be extremely tired mentally as you are going to be tired very physically, of course, but, but your mental fatigue should be right up there because you've concentrated on not, not letting things just drift along. And, and those micro adjustments you can make so many advantage so much advantage into your overall result i just think that's that's an area where people aren't really utilizing enough and and if i was going to give some advice on how to improve your racing strategies and you, if, you, if people looked at the example of the tour de france recently and if you if you haven't seen the time trial where vinegar beat pogacar by the biggest margin for two guys who are both very close in ability and he was doing a lot of the little things well such as cornering well and and people say well so what you know you're cornering better than someone else how much advantage is that going to give you but if you get around 10 or 20 corners one second faster that's 10 or 20 seconds ahead of the, your opposition and sometimes in time trialing that's the difference between winning and losing and yeah. that's how that's how important these micro adjustments should be be happening not only in training but but when you're racing more importantly this episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by our sponsor form smart swim goggles they're more than a pair of goggles meet the world's most powerful swim platform See yourself improve with Form Smart Swim Goggles, including a free one-year membership when you purchase your goggles for only $249. US They've currently changed up their offer where you can now get the goggles and you have one-year membership included for free. And if you'd like to continue with the membership going forwards, it's only $15 US a month, where you get access to their workouts, training plans, and custom workout builder. But you'll always have access to the real-time data in the goggles, so you never lose access to that. My favorite thing about the Form Goggles is having the instant feedback of what times you're doing, what stroke rate you're doing, and also the ability to see what your heart rate is. Because never before have we been able to have these immediate feedback heads up display where it's actually telling you what your intervals are. So when I wear the goggles in training, I like that I know my split for the first 50 and the 100 and the 150. So every single lap I'm getting that feedback on what my pace is. And I find it's such an important tool for being able to not only have different gears where you can switch bet between the different speeds that you want to swim, but it helps you develop those gears and it helps you intuitively know how fast you need to go to before you're going to blow up or before you're going to go a little bit too hard. So it helps you just get really good at judging your pace for when you do go to a race. And even if you're not wearing the goggles in a race, it's that intuition and that ability to develop your pacing that these goggles can really help with. To get your pair of form goggles and save 15% off, use our link formswim.com forward slash effortless or use the coupon effortless 
at checkout. And that will get you 15% off your pair of goggles using our special link formswim.com forward slash effortless or the code effortless at checkout. But the Swimming World Champs run at the moment and one of the things that Thorpey, uh, Ian Thorpey is commentating, he keeps talking about in the 1500 or the, the 800, but specifically the 1500 is they often break it up into three 500s and it's that middle 500 where the swimmers that drift off mentally, their time slowed down just a little bit and then they can't get back. So it's about staying switched on that entire time. And in the course of a 15-minute race, it's, it's a five-minute window there where that's where people tend to tend to lose it. So it, happened, it happens there. And it reminds me of this, this one race I had. So there's a swim called the Lawn Peter Pub, which is the biggest open water swim here in Victoria or, or near Melbourne. And I did it this one year where I drifted off mentally for about 10 seconds. I just wasn't paying attention. I, I don't know what I was thinking about, but it, mentally I just lost it for 10 seconds. And in that, in that 10 seconds, I ended up drifting left and the currents is sort of pushing you left in towards the, to the rocks and the, the boys there. And that's all it took was 10 seconds of not concentrating where I lost the pack. I was too far in and you can't really sort of swim wider and get back with the pack because the current's sort of pushing you into the left. And that was it. That was the end of my, my race where it's just like, all right, I've just got to, I've just got to sort of, yeah, stay stay on the right side of the the boys because on the left of that is the rocks, and I just can't make the pack anymore. And my race was done because it's it's a short race; it's over in about twelve minutes. But it happened; it can happen so quickly in in that situation. And then with an Ironman, you've got all these little opportunities to be able to just switch back on and, and be aware of it. And it's a lot of concentration. Yeah, it might be ten hours, fifteen hours of mm-hmm. of concentrating, mm-hmm. but all those little micro decisions to be aware of what's happening could make you several minutes and perhaps yeah an hour faster it can really make a difference over the course of a race that's that long i couldn't agree more and there are examples of people who who really are in tune with what's happening around them and and i've you know i've seen examples of of, you know passing people who are in a zone of almost a zombie-like zone where they're, 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 if they're swimming, they're just, they're just got their head down and they're just rolling their arms over. If they're riding, they're not even, you know, you could say something to them and they would almost like you've woken them up out of a sleep. And that's a state you want to, don't want to get into. And it happens a lot more on the run in the Ironman as an example, because people are just, they are, they are past concentrating and wanting all they're thinking about is the next step and it's a you know a long walk when you're like that and and had you concentrated a bit more and not maybe pushed yourself so hard too earlier uh, in the race you may not be in this position so so not only is it going to help you improve your time it's actually going to help you from stopping from you know executing your plan poorly and, and going too hard too soon I, I want to shift to to swimming technique and as we mentioned at the start of the podcast i've had a lot of your athletes come to our clinics which is which has been fantastic and enjoyed working with them and working with a few athletes on a on a fairly regular basis who have seen great improvements with their with their swimming i'd, I'd love to get your perspective on that and what you see would be the the key things that someone could do to take 5, 10, 20 seconds off their, their swimming pace for a triathlon. Uh, what are some of those key, key habits that they've gotten into? What are uh, some of the things that you've noticed with those athletes who, who have improved? Because I sort of get to see it on the, the technical side where I'll video them and I'll analyze them and that sort of thing. But from your perspective where like you're setting the, you're setting the programs, I think at the start of your sessions you might say like do 400 metres of like effortless swimming drills or brenching drills. I just sort of, I'd love to get your perspective on that because, yeah, what do you see as being the consistencies among those that are getting those improvements? I definitely think for swimming, the two areas that, that the triathletes need the most help in, and that's just not triathletes, I suppose in general swimmers, if you can get your fitness to a point, that that's your number one goal. Bring your fitness up mm. so that you can actually hold the the technique that that the effortless swimming course is asking you to, to halt and, and if you don't have fitness everybody knows when they jump in the pool their first 25 or 50 meters without even trying is their fastest because you're holding really good form because you've got no fatigue and and so we really want to get our athletes fit first and at the same time 
we want them to be concentrating on this is why we send our athletes to you so you you do a great job of identifying the, probably the three biggest weaknesses that they might have at the moment and you're asking them to concentrate on improving one of those each each time they swim and and you know it might be a four week period where you're saying look these are the three things that that will enable you to swim faster can you work on those three things over this next four week period and so we're really drumming that into our athletes is and that's why we actually put it in our program Brenton Ford effortless swimming drills you know do your research check the actual drill that that you've made a video of the night before you swim understand exactly how that drill is done and execute that drill in that section of your swimming program so that you can actually concentrate on that and then when you're doing your swim session after that you can think about one of those things and try to concentrate on that. But the, the rest of the session is really thinking about you really working hard on your fitness. So, so the two things go together in my opinion, and I'd love to hear your, your expert advice on this as well. But, but I, I definitely think from my example where I've got no swimming fitness whatsoever because I'm only swimming once a week and at times there might be four or five weeks where I'm not swimming at all. So, so I'm probably swimming, you know, in six months, I'm not even getting 30 or 40 swims in, which is mm. a really small amount of swimming. And here I am entering half Ironman aqua bike races where it's a 2K swim nearly. And, and I, I can clearly see my fitness fade as I'm swimming in these races. And luckily, I've got good technique from your effortless swimming analysis and from my history of being a swimmer for, you know, 50 years, even though I've had a 40-year break from swimming. So, so I can feel myself getting tired in these races. And when I analyze it post-event, I'm starting at 132 pace and I'm finishing at 145 pace. And that's totally down to fitness. And, and I know the answer to that is train more. Don't do one swim every fourth week or, but time doesn't allow me to do that for, for whatever the reason is. But the fitness component is the key to holding the form. And, mm. and if you, if you aren't fit enough, you can't hold the technique you want to. And so, so we're drumming into the people, you know, because triathlon is such a, an enduring sport with three sports and, and swimming you know, not downgrading the swim part of the of the actual race, but it is the least time involved in the event and it is got the for the the work you put into it, you get the least reward uh, back. And what do I mean by that? If I had a swimmer who swam once or twice a week and they were able to swim thirty minutes for for nineteen hundred meters, which is a pretty adequate result for the every everyday swimmer, if they swam three or four times, they would improve incredibly and that might look like two minutes over a year of training, double the, the training sessions. That would be a possibility. And if we looked at a cyclist who spent another session instead of swimming, he could possibly improve 10 minutes by adding one more bike session. And then as a runner, if he added another run session, he could possibly improve five minutes. So I look at, at the breakdown of times for the effort put in and, and then we, we push the bike as to be the one where they should be doing more time because you'll get more value back for your efforts. So, so you know, we're, we're not downgrading the swim. We're just saying that you need to get fit first, then concentrate on your stroke. And how do you get fitter? Well, you swim more. But it's got to be a point where you can't swim too much because it's going to affect the other part of your race which is the, the run and the bike. So, so there's a fine line between what we're advising to our athletes and I'm, I'm wanting them to do minimum of two. And that's really under, under your guidance from the, the podcast we've done with you to say, well, two's the minimum. If you can do three, that would be brilliant. If you can do four, great. And then we would come in and say, well, is four going to affect dramatically your ability to improve 10 minutes on the bike? And if it does, then we have to drop that fourth swim to, to make it three swims and in those three swims if if they can only do two well, we really want to concentrate on uh getting your fitness up in all those swims that we're doing and and having a small period for your stroke because that's what's going to make you swim faster improve your technique you'll swim faster improve your fitness you'll swim faster to a point when you get to a maximum fitness level and then unless your technique changes you're going to swim the same and we've got examples of that we've got examples of people swimming 20k 
in the pool where they've got to a, a level where they're not improving and they could probably get that same speed if they swam 10K. So we're really adamant that that person needs to improve their technique so that they can actually take the next step. So there's a good example of, of someone who's doing a lot of volume, is as fit as you could possibly get in the water, but just needs to work on their technique more now. So, so mm. build the fitness up to a point and then really work on the technique side when you feel your fitness is, 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 is where you can hold the form. And, and I'm the example of that, not that person. That's, that's not what's happening in mine. And, and I know that, but, but that, you know, the one thing that I would love to do is spend more time doing that uh, so I could improve my fitness so I could hold the form better. And it's such a great feeling when you're swimming on top of the water and everything's, hmm. everything feels good and it's, and it's effortless to use your, your title. But, but yeah, it, it, it is important that, that we push the fitness for two minimum swims. And if they can do a third, we're really trying to do that third one with a bit more technique. So we do two blocks in that session where there's, there's Brenton's drills. So we might do four, a warm up drills, a main set, then some more drills, then a cool down. Whereas the other two sessions, we would have one session for drills and the rest of it's building that fitness. So that's how we would, and I would be interested in your opinion on whether that's the way you would do it, knowing what triathlon's requirements are. And I'm talking only triathlon. I'm not talking open water swimming races here. So, yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I very much agree. And I think it comes back to you can't steer a parked car. Like you have to have some sort of fitness to be able to change a stroke really because or else you're only going to be lasting 25 or, or 50 metres at a time. So you, you want to get that fitness first of all. And sometimes I find people are, are afraid to train the wrong habits, but it's like it's, it's, you're so early in your in your swimming journey that just get – just get that that fitness up get that blood flow to your upper body to your arms build those swimming muscles because they're very different than any other muscles that you're probably using so you've just got to get moving first of all and and then we'll start to to tweak and adjust the stroke as you go and i also find people are sometimes afraid to go too fast in swimming so when they're heavily focused on their technique they're just thinking i just want to have long and beautiful strokes and i'm just going to swim it 40% effort, just very slow and very perfect. And then over time, I'll build up from there. But yeah, I think you're missing a big a big part of it. You don't need to go at 90% for your whole session and, and nor should you, but just it's okay to swim that a little bit quicker, maybe do some some sprints as well, maybe some you know 25s and, and 50s, fire things up a little bit and you'll feel what's slowing you down when you're going at a, a fast 25 pace. You'll feel what's happening, those faults in your stroke will be exacerbated at the speed. And so, yeah, we don't want to just do everything slow and, and perfect. We need to change the pace, we need to not be afraid to yeah, to go at slightly faster efforts. And you generally develop, I find you sort of develop your technique a little bit faster. Your fitness is going to increase a lot quicker as well when you do that. So yeah, we don't want to hold back, hold back too much. Um, a story comes to mind of a guy we just had on the podcast recently, his name's Josh. And he he was quite new to swimming, so he originally had a lot of, a lot of time in his hands, and he had a pool close to him. So he was doing in the early days, once he sort of got his fitness up there, he was doing four or five sessions a week, but they were only twenty or thirty minutes. It's because he had a, a pool at his apartment complex, so it was really easy, and he, he just worked on his stroke, built up his fitness that way, and then as he got better and more proficient in the water, he got better feel for the water. He's now dialed back his swimming to be able to focus on his his bike and his run. And so now I think he he's, he might be doing two sessions a week, maybe maybe three, but he's able to swim at a, at a really good pace now that he's got his swimming to a, to a certain point. But, yeah, if he just kept swimming five times a week and not focusing on the bike and the run, he's missing out on the, the biggest portion of where that extra speed could come from in his races. So you've got to be smart about how often you're swimming. And I know we spoke about this on your podcast recently where when I was training for Ironman, I was swimming four to five times a week because I enjoyed it and I loved it. And I was doing maybe three bikes a week and it just was not enough. I could have found, I'd say, an extra half an hour in my bike had I just done two swims and five bike sessions or just really ramped up the the biking. Yeah. And, and I sort of knew it at the time, but you know, I enjoyed swimming. So that's what it was. Oh. That's that's a great story, and it, it it reminds me of the question that I would actually would love your answer on, and 
when you can only do two swims and you're training for either 70.3 or Ironman as a 1,900-meter or 3.8K, 100-meter, sorry, not K, 3.8K event, would you be doing those, if you were only doing two swims, would, would your goal to be staying in the water longer, even though you may not be swimming? Say you're doing your, your main set, and I ask this question because we use this philosophy in our bike and running. The main set, we don't adjust at all on the bike. So if someone wants to do extra work on the bike and they've got, say, the session's an hour 10 and they've got an hour 50, uh, I would say to them, yeah, go for it. You can you can do whatever you like in the warm-up and the cool-down, but don't extend the main set because the main set is the hard section of the of the session. And that will give you your your zone two aerobic fitness component, and that will give you a, a head start on everybody else. Would you be doing the same thing in the water, in those two sessions a week? If you've if if I've set down a thirty to to forty minute swim, and you've got time to do fifty to sixty minutes or an hour ten, would be that mm. something that's going to help them? Even though they're only swimming twice a week, do you think that would be a, a better than swimming four times thirty minutes a week as compared to two times an hour? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it depends on the the person. So the, like the frequency certainly helps, but you've got the time that it takes to get to the pool, to get changed. Like it, it adds, adds a lot mm. of extra time. Mm. So if you're doing two one-hour sessions a week and time-wise that's going to be a, a better thing for you to do, I'd, I'd probably go with with that. And it depends on the session. So I like I, I like to have certainly want like a pretty reasonable workout that's like a threshold session a key key main set there that I don't know let's say it's two kilometers or two and a half k whatever whatever it might be for that that main set and you've probably only got a certain amount of quality in you for that session as well Mm. and I think to like personally with some of the threshold sessions that we we do it's like if this was longer I I wouldn't be hitting my times I wouldn't be hitting my paces like I've, I've kind of just got that that limit of what I can can do where where I think you can do the longer sessions is if it's more like that that pure aerobic that sort of zone two stuff where you can you can stretch it it out a little bit you're not going as hard and you're just building up that swim fitness and and strength i think that you can push a bit longer but if you've got say a a 30 or 40 40 minute main set and you've got additional time at the start or at the end i'd probably yeah just just a bit like you could do perhaps a bit more technique focus swimming where it might be say add 20 50s onto the back of it where it might just be 15 seconds rest and you're just looking to swim strong so you're looking to hold good technique swim strong and maybe just hit a certain stroke count for for each 50 that you're doing so still technically focused and you've got to switch on but it's not physically it's not hard it's just yeah mentally you got you got to switch on and hold good form and just do that by hitting this the right the same amount of stroke count or uh, or you could do some breath control as well, or or maybe some more skills. You know, maybe doing a bit of bit of kicking or a bit of bit of pull. So yeah, I think that's that's how I'd probably look to add additional stuff on that's still beneficial for you, rather than yeah spreading it out across four thirty minute swims a week. Awesome. And so just to, to wrap things up because we've been running for an hour here, we can can chat all day. And I know with the with the knowledge that you've got in yeah, in triathlon and doing the amount of podcasts that you you guys have done you've had a lot of different guests talked about a lot of different topics so we could draw from that well for for a very long time but just to wrap things up what advice would you have for someone who's training for half or full distance ironman they want to improve their their times overall what are some of the the key things that you've seen with all the athletes that you've coached what are some of those key habits or things that you've noticed from a coaching perspective on what can help those athletes going forwards yeah, good way to finish. Preparation, I think, is a really undervalued aspect of 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 any athlete's toolbox, I think. And, you know, you want to fill your toolbox up with as many tools as you can. And preparation is one of those things. And and whether that's knowing the course, so you're going to your local half Ironman and you haven't seen the swim course. You don't know that it's two laps. You don't know that it's one lap. You don't know that it goes left or right. Preparation about understanding the course, the tides, you know, preparation in practicing open water swimming, preparation in swimming in with other people around you. Yeah. All those things, understanding what pace you're planning to do, that's part of preparation, your race strategy, preparation for the morning of the night before, your equipment, you know, getting everything box ticked so that you don't land at the race without your goggles. So, so, so many things that you could be doing that's not part of training 
but it is an essential part of training that you prepare properly for a training session and a race the same way. And and the people who are flippant with their training, they are going to be found out on race day because they don't have. You just can't switch on and off. You know, as an athlete, you need to be the same in training and the same as a race. And and you can doesn't mean you have to be serious. That's not you know that's not what I'm I'm really advocating. I want you to have fun and race day, and I want you to have fun and training and make it enjoyable, make it something you're looking forward to. And part of the preparation is knowing what is the session that I'm going to do. Is it a high intensity session? Is it a zone two session? Is it an hour and a half? Is it 50 minutes? I have examples of people getting to the pool, not having any clue about what the session is until it comes up on their watch. And they don't even know what's next. And on the bike, the same thing. They're just waiting for their bike computer to tell them what the next set is. And and I find that is a really poor way to train. And you will do that on race day. You won't think about what your race strategy is and, and be prepared. And, and we really drum that into everybody we coach is being prepared both physically and mentally for the task at hand. Get practiced in that. Get practiced in that in training. And that will run over into your – you always hear the, you know, the, the elite sports of the world just take – the footballers you know what are the things you think are good about this footballer oh his his attention to detail and his preparation is second to none he's the first at the training track he knows what he's doing he's practicing his skills and you know we have an example in our squad of an olympian he won't mind me naming his name but julian painter is he epitomizes professionalism and that preparedness as an olympian he still does as an age grouper and he he is great at that and he has shown a lot of our other athletes when they go to races what preparedness is and and it's great that they see him rocking up going over to the bike course before the race doing extra warm-up getting there early and setting up his trainer so that he can warm up before i'm using an example as a time trial you know understanding what the time trial course requirements are and having done it many times and looked at the course and ridden the course and understanding where the hard parts are and he knows all that and and all of our athletes want to emulate what he does and and of course our standards going up because they're all copying the best and and so that that preparation, I think, is a really undervalued aspect of, of anybody's athletic pursuits. And if you can really improve that, you, you will be amazed how, how much you will start to improve without training any harder, just by being better prepared and understanding what the goal and, and uh, emphasis of the, of the session that you're going to do or the, the race you're going to, uh, to about to attack. And I think, obviously, consistency in, in your training is, is a key to to anybody's improvement you can have the best program in the world and if you do two or three sessions a week really well and miss the others the person who just trains day in day out will probably get a better outcome after 12 weeks than the person who's haphazard in their in their approach so so consistency in training and consistency in actually understanding that you have a race plan and 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 you want to actually race to that plan consistently all the time understanding the field we did talk about you know how do I feel on any given day? It will determine how I perform. So getting in tune with your body, I think that would be a third thing that that I would 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 definitely be pushing people to think more about. That that is under undersold and undervalued. I think the you know the recommended perceived exertion RPE is something we only ever had in the olden days, and I think that's something that that should still be a part of your program, racing and training. And of course, the, the key and the, the one that we talked about already is, is, you know, you need to do the work. It's great to say at the coffee table with all your mates that I'm going to do the, the next Ironman that's coming up and everybody's on board. But understand what, that's, what that statement entails. It entails a lot of work, a lot of preparation, a lot of consistency, a lot of determination, a lot of sacrifice. So don't make these decisions flippantly. If you, if you want to do well, you need to be able to understand that it takes effort and organisation to get to these Ironman races. You and I talked a bit about off-air about, you know, the cost involved to, to go and do one of these big races is the entry fee, the airfare, the accommodation, the training, the equipment purchases. You know, you, you don't want to do all those things and then spoil the day, you know. It's like getting ready for a party and turning up drunk. 
you know, you, you're just going to not enjoy the day because you've missed it. You want to actually get to race day and enjoy the fact that you've prepared well, you, you've got the right equipment, your mind is totally in tune with the race plan, and you actually have a great day and a great outcome and can't wait for the next one. And and they're the things that are that are going to keep you in the sport. And, and you know, at the end of the day, we do this because we love doing it, but, at the, you know, I'm sure in, everybody's, in the back of everybody's mind, is we want to be as healthy and as fit for as long as we can in our life journey. There's going to be a point, I'm looking after my mum at the moment and she's 90 and and she's frustrated with her body mm. at the moment because it's not functioning, but she's mentally totally in tune with the world and what's happening. And, you know, you want to you wanna live that, that 40 to 70 to 80 years of age where you're still functioning really well. And I think, you know, using the sport that we, we do to keep ourselves healthy, both in mind and body, will make us have a better journey in our life. So, so I think that aspect of if people can think about that and when they're, when they're waking up and saying, oh, I've got to train again, it's going to be a hard day. You know, it's all on this journey to get you to be as healthy and as fit as you can. And, and we know that people are more alert because they're fitter. We know that they function better and have clearer thinking minds when they've, when they've actually got this, their, their body and mind to a really good level of fitness. Sure, you're tired and you've got fatigue, but you've got such clarity because your body is actually thriving on the level of fitness that you've got it at. So, so I think mm. they're probably the four things that, that I would be in summary really advocating, you know, we, we are all about trying to get each person to be the best version of themselves. And whether that's a beginner getting to the end, I was just talking to, to one of our guys who's put himself down for Noosa, Noosa try 10 minutes before the, the podcast. And this is a big thing for him. He's done sprint races, but to do an Olympic race is really stretching him. And I love that he's challenging himself and, and he's now got an absolute determination to get himself to, to be able to run 10K. He, he hasn't run over 30, 40 minutes for 20 years. So for him to, you know, 10K is probably going to take him an hour 20. So we've got a really big task ahead of ourselves to get him to that finish line where he can smile and say, I did that. And, and he, you know, it's going to take some work for him. But, but that's, that's what this is all about is setting challenges and, and achieving them. And, and he, he is just all in for this. And, and I love that when people, you know, ring up with a new challenge and, and it's one that's really going to test them. So, mm. so yeah, they're the summaries that I would, I would try to get everybody to, to really think about when they're on this journey, uh, whether it's as a open water swimmer or a triathlete or a marathon runner or a bike rider, you've, you've just really got to uh, think about those things that are going to help you be the, the best version that you can be. And if, if you're spending all this time and energy and money, why wouldn't you do all the things well and not just do one of those five things well? What a great way to, to, to end the podcast there. And the sport emulates life. And if you can challenge yourself in your sporting life or, or career, and whatever that challenge is, is to you, whether it's to, you know, to go from a sprint distance to an Olympic distance and, and run a 10K, that is that's probably the same as someone going from a half Ironman to a, to a full Ironman. It's just whatever that challenge is for you, just keep keep pushing it, keep pushing it. And that will have flow and effects to the other parts of your life with, with work, with family, mentally, how you're feeling, the confidence that you've got. And when you're at that point with your fitness, when you're not training, you're going, oh, I don't feel good here. Like I need to get back out there and get back in the pool. I need to get back on the bike. When you're really uncomfortable with the, with the fact that you're, you're not training or you're losing fitness, that's a great place to be rather than someone who's been on the couch for the last five years and they're going, oh, I can't believe I have to go for a, a walk or I have to go for a run. Mm. No, you, we want to get to that point where we, where we miss the training and uh, we can't live, live without it. And, I mean, so many triathletes, swimmers, they're at, at that point where they just they don't want to take a, um, a day mm. away from it. They don't want to take a, take a week off, which is, which is great to get to that point. And I just think we do, uh, sometimes we don't understand that on the other side of that, there's people who – think it's an effort to actually have to go out and, and train. They don't seek after it like, like we do. So it's, uh, that's what I, what I love being around swimmers and, and triathletes is it's that sort of mentality. They're the people I want to be around because they're, they want to push themselves. They want to grow. They want to get better. And that is so much better than those people who are just sitting on the sidelines, not doing anything or, or pulling other people down. So it's, it's just a great culture that is around, around sport. And, and that's why I, I think swimming is a is a big part of my life is because 
you're surrounded by great people who, who love to push themselves. Yeah, look, the one thing I probably didn't mention was the balance. And you reminded me when you were just speaking there about, you know, if you're feeling bad about not, you know, missing a session and you've been training your backside off for, for a good year and all of a sudden you miss a session or two, you know, that's not the end of the world. And and sometimes we, we are too extreme. And I always say anything that's, that that is extreme, well, that's unsustainable. And mm. we know the examples of that. If you wanted to lose 10 kilo and you managed to do that, but the only way you got there was because you didn't eat for two weeks. Well, that's an unsustainable way to lose weight you know it needs to be a balanced way where it would take maybe 16 weeks or 25 weeks to lose that weight so that you can keep doing that for the rest of your life and so as a as an athlete you know there are a small percentage of us at the elite level the rest of us are all trying to be the best version of ourselves and and wanting to improve even at my age at 64 i can't wait to to improve my swim times and my, my bike times even at this age it, it's it drives me to to train so you want to have that balance so that you've got it in check in terms of perspective of everything else and the example i give you know injury is a classic and you ask me off air how's my training going well basically i've had eight weeks of no training from a back injury and I missed the sport that badly I could not wait to get back on uh, to do some sort of exercise it was it was just foreign to me to have this much time away from exercise and mm. and it was almost get to a point where you're a little bit depressed so you've, you you get good perspective when something's taken away from you but you still need to have balance that in the scheme of things and if I look back at this this phase of my life in this period of May, June, July, next May, June, July, this will be insignificant period. And mm. in the scheme of five years of training or 10 years of training, those six weeks are very insignificant. And you have to have that balance to understand that. And don't get too down on yourself when, when things aren't going your way. Just keep coming back to... The, the person who's more even and not high and then way low is going to succeed just like training hard and training soft. So, so I think, I think one of the key things I missed was the balance and, and, you know, whether it's balance with your family, balance with work or balance with training, they are all things that if you don't get right, you will come a cropper and, and it will be to the detriment of your health and well-being. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Go check out the Trivalo podcast. Go check out the Trivalo website as well if you're looking for, for triathlon coaching. And uh, Jared, thank you so much for being on and uh, thanks for having me on your, your podcast as well. And I look forward to working with you and your athletes in the future because as I mentioned on your podcast, like it's a great group of athletes that, I, that come in. I really like working with them because they've got the right mindset and the patience to be able to do what they need to do to see those improvements. So thank you very much. And this has been a, a great podcast. We've gone on here because we love it. And hopefully that comes through in the, in the podcast. So I appreciate your time. Yeah, cheers, mate. I'm very appreciative of you having me on. So thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.